Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. When we look at these four individuals, last Sunday we observed in John chapter 4 the woman of Samaria that Jesus met by the well of Sychar and her boldness changed her community. Today we go to the other side of the spectrum and we meet a religious man, a very religious man. We meet Nicodemus. And this individual is as religious as you can get. He's at the epicenter of Judaism and Jesus finds him and Jesus talks with him. It's so important that the word of God is broadcast, that is put out. And so week to week, our message is posted out through our webpage. It's posted out on YouTube. It's posted out through all different sources today. This afternoon will be the first time our service, the sermon, will be airing on the Richmond Channel 6, uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sundays. For uh, those of you who work all night and two o'clock is early on a Sunday afternoon, you can get up and you can see the sermon week to week. And so we're thankful for that opportunity. And we, we welcome those who would be listening, those who would tune in to hear the word of God, a Christ-centered message, preaching Christ and him crucified. So it's helpful to spread the word. It's helpful for you to like. It's helpful for you to share the message, to broadcast that word to those who are following and connected to you so that they might hear because every one of us are going to fit within somewhere of these individuals. Some last week may feel like, that's me. That woman at the well, that's me. I'm the outcast, sinner, no good, and Jesus loves me. And today, there are many of us in our background, we were raised up religious. We did all the things we were supposed to do. We went to all the, we didn't do the other things you weren't supposed to do. And yet, we were still missing something. Something was broken. Something was lacking. And that's Nicodemus. Our verse for this series um, is, is this. It's 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. For perfect love casts out fear. There's no room for fear of what man will think of us when we are loved by God. And it doesn't mean that we don't care what anyone thinks. It means that we care most of all and supremely what does God say? What does he say of us? What does he say of me? What has he revealed in his word? And whatever then God declares to be true, beloved, it's true. So the opinions of people find their place in just that, the opinions of people. As we look at these four radically different individuals, as I mentioned last week, the woman of Samaria found love. She found someone who loved her. Today we find a man who's religious, but he's lacking life. And we're going to see in this individual, Jesus' encounter with this religious man, how he's transformed, what changes him. And we're going to come away with four truths, and we're going to look in John's gospel, the third chapter. Then we're going to fast forward through Nicodemus's life in Jesus' ministry to John chapter 7. And we find a little blip on the radar where Nicodemus reappears just for a moment, like a turtle putting a, a head out of the shell and back in. And then we see him in John 19 where he's, he's not hiding anymore. And we ask ourselves the question, what happened? 
What changed him? And I'm going to argue in each of these individuals that they experienced not a lecture from Jesus. They experienced the love of Jesus. And if you and if I experience the love of Jesus, there's nothing that will cause us to fear anything other than a reverential devotion and fear and love of God. And that's fitting for the one who gave himself for us. John chapter 3, Jesus finds this insider. The first truth that we see is this. Jesus is patient with our questions. I don't know how many of you dads are really patient with uh, questions or maybe uh, whether you're a dad or not, when people are asking questions and they say, why? And you, why? How come? Why? 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 There's like, is there ever an end to your question? Why? Why should there be an end? Oh, you got me again. Jesus is patient with our questions, and we see how patient he is with Nicodemus, this Pharisee. John chapter 3, now there was a man of the Pharisees named, named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? This is the word of God. It's our aim to rightly understand the word and to apply it to our lives. We see that Jesus is so very patient with Nicodemus and the questions that Jesus is, is being handed by Nicodemus. As you read through the Psalms, you will often find that the psalmists are asking questions, very difficult questions, questions that you might even say, is it okay to ask that of God? Psalm 22, that Jesus would pray and, and, and pick up and, and flesh out on the cross. Psalm 22, and this is what Jesus cried out. This question, the psalmist originally asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a serious question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is it okay to ask this question? Maybe you have been through suffering and you've been through abandonment. You've been through various things in your life and you have in prayer cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? He continues on, why are you so far from helping me? Maybe you've prayed that. Do you care? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you care what I'm going through? You're so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning. 
Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season and am not silent. Do you hear the anguish of the psalmist coming out in prayer of God? Do you know what I'm going through? Why are you so far from me? Why do I feel alone? What is going on? I can't see your hand. And Jesus would pray this on the cross, beloved. He would pray this to the Father. Why have you forsaken me? And we understand on this side of the cross that Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that you and I are never forsaken. He reached out his hand to his father and all he got was air so that you and I, there will never come a time while we are living that we do not reach out our hand and he is already holding on to us if we have come by faith in Christ and trusted in him. So Nicodemus is reaching out to Jesus and he has these questions and he's posing these questions. He has all of these questions, but he goes to the right person. He goes to the right place. He goes to Jesus. A little bit of background about Nicodemus, the Pharisee. He's a devout Jew, attempted to keep every law and tradition. That included the Old Testament and all of their laws. Over 600 rules. And he would have been one, like Saul of Tarsus, who was kept it, kept it, kept it. Yep, doing good, doing good. And, you know, right on through the hundreds of them, I am doing all of the law. And yet he knows I'm missing something. I'm still not the person I should be. I'm still broken in here. I'm still missing something. He's a ruler of the Jews. That means he was at the top of the ladder. Some have said that Nicodemus was one of the top three wealthy individuals in Jerusalem. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about this man and you're thinking about people that you know, well, that person, the CEO, the really influential person, would they ever bow their knee to Christ? Nicodemus did. It's going to be costly for him. Jesus says in verse 10, he says, you're the teacher of Israel. Are you the teacher of Israel? Not just a teacher in Israel. You're the teacher in Israel and you're struggling with these things. But Jesus is patient with him. We might ask ourselves the question, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus by night? Why did he come at night? Well, perhaps he was afraid of what others would think. That might be a reason. Perhaps he wanted to come in the time and just be uninterrupted. You know, there's, there's just certain things. If you're going to have a conversation, there's a good time and there's a bad time to have a conversation. If you're about to go through the drive-thru, that's not a good time to start a conversation, right? If you're going through the checkout at Kroger, that's not a good time to be in a conversation on a phone, right? You've been behind that person. I'm going to take for granted. It's not ever you that's doing that. But it's just like, really? Can you not just, are you that? I'm like, are they working with you on solving the virus problem? I'm not sure, but maybe you should give respect to the person who's waiting on you, serving you, and talk to them. Jesus is so patient with this individual. We don't know exactly why, but it's positioned here at night, and we do know that Nicodemus has a lot at stake. He is risking a lot. His reputation his standing in his community. And we're going to see that in John chapter 7. There is a lot on the line and he goes anyway. He takes the risk. He goes to have this conversation with Jesus. What's at the heart of Nicodemus's questions here? He's trying to find out who are you and what are you here for? What are you doing? What is your mission? He recognizes there's something different about you, but I want to put it all together, not just dismiss you, not just be threatened by you. I'm trying to understand who are you 
And what should be my response? And for everyone who is here and everyone who hears this message, there's no greater question than that. Who is Jesus and what should my response be to him? That's what Nicodemus is asking. When he begins this conversation, trying to establish, you know, where are you from? Uh, Verse two, came to Jesus by night, said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher, come from God. So you can hear in this that Nicodemus is really saying, I'm a teacher, you're a teacher, okay? This would be like somebody comes into your work and and you're an engineer and here they sent from corporate another engineer. Hey, uh, we're both engineers here. Uh, What gives you, why should we be listening to you in this department over me? And I've been here for 25 years. Why should we all of a sudden change the things and how we do and what we do? And why should we listen to you? Because we're both engineers. That's how he begins with Jesus. But Jesus doesn't get sidetracked and focus on, you know, flaunting. Hey, listen, I'm just not a teacher. Do you know who I am? In John chapter four, he told the woman at the well, she said, I know when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus says, I'm here. He doesn't say that to Nicodemus. He doesn't get caught and he doesn't get lost in a a back and forth with Nicodemus. He goes to the heart. He goes to the real issue for Nicodemus. And that is faith in Christ. It's about being born again. That's where Jesus focused. How can a person be born again? The question is there in verse 4. He asks the question in verse 9, Nicodemus does, how can these things be? He's trying to understand. He's having trouble. He's not making sense of this. But he's engaging his mind. He's engaging his heart. He's trying to understand. And I would assume that's why you're here this morning. It's because you're humbly saying, I don't have it all together yet. I don't have every answer. I still need help. And I need the fellowship of others who are going through this life together. And I have one confidence, and that is in Christ and in Christ alone. Nicodemus wasn't there yet. But he at least would humbly admit, I don't have all the answers. There's something different about you. Where do you go with your questions? Do you go into isolation? Do you just go to the internet? Or do you go to those whom are around you, surrounded by God, around you in the body of Christ, to get answers that are from scripture. Nicodemus went to Jesus and that's a good thing. Jesus took the time to talk with him. He's an important religious leader. He's going to give him some answers. In verse three, you must be born from above. And I've had someone ask me that question before. What does it mean to be born again? Maybe some of you are here like, what does that mean to be born again? It can be said in another way that maybe is helpful to be born from above. And how this works together, you're born once, you were all here, I know you all have a birthday, okay? So, congratulations, what did you do to have that first birthday? (laughs) Nothing. You had nothing to do with it. You just showed up and started making messes like I did. Noise and messes and needs, that's us, welcome to the world, right? Nothing to contribute. We didn't help 
you know, do the cleaning in the, in the delivery room to help settle that bill and help our parents out. We, we came with, we didn't do anything. And so Jesus is connecting this born of the flesh, born of the spirit, born of water, born of the spirit, born here on earth, born from above, both come with outworking effects. Something happens. You see, you were born once and you can move and you breathe and your spirit is in you. You have a soul. And so there's, there's activity until there's not activity. Until the brain waves go silent, until the heartbeat stops, there's an effect of your first birth. And Jesus is using this analogy for Nicodemus to understand. So it is in the first birth, so it is in the second birth, the spiritual birth, to be born spiritually reborn from above. This is a supernatural work. You didn't do anything for your first birth. And there really isn't anything that God needs from you in a second birth. He's done it all but you must receive this gift. What did you do to get your first breath? You took it in. You didn't make it. You didn't buy it. The doctor might have slapped your backside, but you had to, you had to receive breath. You have to receive this gift. And to receive this gift means you have to admit, I can't buy it, I don't deserve it, and I can't earn it. Uh, It has to be given, imputed to me from someone greater than me. That's where we find Nicodemus. Are we equal or are you greater? Because if you're greater, that means I have to submit to you. To submit to you means everything is upside down, apparently from how I was brought up, But Jesus is going to use even the Old Testament to say it's not upside down. It's the fulfillment of everything you were raised in. But everything in Judaism was missing the point, and that is Messiah. And he was there, and Nicodemus was talking with him, and Jesus was so patient with him. Jesus uses that analogy of the wind blowing. I was going down 94 this week. I think it was on Friday. Went through the the overpass, the underpass there at, at Hall Road. The wind was fierce. I saw a truck in the middle lane just down and the wind was vacuumed away. Once you go under that overpass, it's like the wind stops. And then it, when it re-engaged, that truck was like just moved like a sail. And I was like, wow, I'm glad I wasn't A, next to that truck. B, hold my, my steering wheel a little tighter because that wind's about to, yep, there it was. And it hit the side of our vehicle. I couldn't see the wind. I saw the effects of the wind. And that's what Jesus is using as an analogy, an illustration for Nicodemus to understand. Like he's working with him. He's giving him something that you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You can't see the moment that you came to faith in Christ. You didn't see Jesus take up by his spirit inside of you, but he did. The spirit of God moved into you. So how do you know that you've been saved? By the changes that come by the spirit living in you. The things that you used to love, where you used to spend time, attention, resources, and suddenly your hand is being opened up for the things that are passing and your hand is closing around those things that are eternal and your affections are being changed, your desires are being changed. And it's not because you have to or because you feel guilty, it's by his love changing you. That's the effect of the Spirit of God. So not only is Jesus patient with Nicodemus, but the second truth we see about Jesus is he is the answer that brings clarity into our confusion. He is the answer. He doesn't just come with the answers. 
Hey, Nicodemus, I have a question about, well, here's your answer. When Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, it isn't that Jesus can point him to the answer. It isn't that Jesus studied long enough, has all the answers, and now he's ready, and here's your answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one to bring clarity in the midst of all of Nicodemus's confusion. Pick up there in verse 10 of John 3. After Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? The teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly. Okay, when he says that, truly, truly, it's you can take this to the bank. I'm not stumbling here. I'm not just on a rant. This is the truth, truly. The true truth, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. Now, do you remember what Nicodemus asked in in verse two? Uh, Rabbi, peer, really influential person, we... My group, we, Jesus hasn't forgotten how he asked the question. So when Jesus answers and responds to him, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 11, we speak of what we know. I'm sorry, what group are you with, Jesus? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Well, that's a little different than Nicodemus and the posse of the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the leadership of Israel. Someone different with a different level of authority is speaking here, answering this question. Truly, truly, I say to you, is what he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you and your group of we, okay, you do not believe. You do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. And here's Jesus' favorite title of himself. Here's where we see the deity of Christ, the eternality of Christ. He is saying, I'm the son of man. Okay, there's power, there's glory, there's majesty in this Old Testament that that Nicodemus is going to understand. I know this title. I know the book of Daniel, the son of man. I'm waiting on this one. But before Nicodemus can go off to the, so now you're going to give Israel our place. Now you're going to get rid of Rome. Now we're going to have power and position and all of that. Jesus says this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He takes Nicodemus to the cross. Nicodemus was struggling to understand exactly what Jesus was saying. The Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God coming on different people, using them, and and then departing from them. The Old Testament was foretold that the, whole, the Spirit of God would come. So Nicodemus wasn't a stranger to this, but he's trying to put it all together. Maybe you've taken a course or a class or been through school and you remember when you studied and you thought you had it already. I'm ready for this. I'm ready to take this test. I'm ready. I'm ready. And the test is put in front of you and you're like, oh no, I'm not ready for that. Que- or that, where would that question? What? I thought I knew this. 
You had some knowledge, but you didn't have full understanding. I had to change how I studied because I used to have, you know, here's the question, here's the answers and look at the, read the question. And then, you know, I think that's the glance over here. There's the answer. Oh yeah, I knew that. Next one. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. Oh, yep. I was, oh, there, that was easy. I can go do something else now. I don't need to keep studying. Bad grade on the test. I gave myself a better, you got this, man. I wasn't ready for it. So I had to change how I study. I had to take a piece of paper and put it over the answers. Don't move it until I answer the right question. I give the right answer to the question and then slide it down. Is that what I said? Oh, that's not what I said. I need to mark that, note that. I don't have that one yet. Until I can give the answer, until it, before I reveal it, don't move on. Nicodemus had some knowledge, but he didn't have understanding, but he's at the right place with the right person, and they're working through this together, and Jesus is so patient with him. Telling Nicodemus, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, and you're not receiving our testimony. Jesus was explaining heavenly truths, spiritual truths. He was using earthly and natural examples. Just like in John 4, he started at a natural need, a human need of water, and he moved it into the spiritual realm. The same Jesus is doing with this religious leader. When you want someone to wake you up in the morning, how do you actually want to be woken up? You want the full, brightest spotlight in your eyes? You can, you like, sunshine, blinds pulled back, blinding you. If Jesus would have given Nicodemus the same thing that he told the woman at the well, it would have been blinding to him. So he's patiently, just little by little, unveiling. He knows Nicodemus. He knows all that he's wrestling through, all of his pride, all of his prestige, and he's patiently dealing with the right question in the right way. Jesus gets to the heart. He is the son of man. He was born to die. This message Jesus brought from heaven. Just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 that in past times, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, that Jesus came to us, that God, this, doesn't this just like blow our minds, that God came in human flesh, was born of a virgin, lived the life that you and I can never live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he defeated the enemy that we have no chance against on our own. Death, hell, and the grave. And he took from death, from grave, from the grave, from hell, all of the power, has no power over those who are in Christ. He ascended and he is coming again. This is the gospel. So here Jesus is being so patient with Nicodemus and he takes him to the cross. And, and Nicodemus would have known Isaiah. He would have known the whole passage, the suffering servant, Isaiah. And the one in Isaiah 53, 5, it, it'll come up. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Nicodemus knew this. Those who are still in Judaism today, they know Isaiah 53. They know that it perfectly 
is descriptive of the cross and of Jesus. But many, but not all, will say we will not have that man to reign over us. So Nicodemus knew this. He was waiting for this suffering servant. He was waiting and Jesus takes him to the cross. He takes him to suffering. He takes him back to Moses. That as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, God's judgment was poured out on the complaining Israelites and serpents were going throughout. They were dying and God made a way through his word to Moses. Moses, bronze serpent, lift it up. Everyone who looks to this serpent will live. Everyone who disbelieves my word stays in, tries to find help, self-help, help from a neighbor, help from a medicine kit, help from anything else. They will not make it. They will die. They have to put faith in my word and respond in obedience. Here's the provision. Will you look and live or will you stay away and die? That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. You're going to look to me and find life or you're going to continue to looking into looking at yourself and looking into your religion and looking into all you are and all you are not because there you will die in your sins. The third truth that we see as we just go to John chapter 7, a few pages to the right, is that Jesus is the central figure that causes division. Okay, Jesus is not one to just have everybody, let's just all get along. It's not that Jesus is a way to the Father, one of many. He's the only way, John 14 tells us. So there's a division that's going on We see it unfold here in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this is still on the other side of the cross. When they heard these words, some of the people said, here's the division, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. This isn't someone just telling us about Messiah. This is Messiah. This is Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? You know, that little podunk area out there, the little no, nothing, nobody's out there. Messiah's not coming from there. Verse 42, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David, of royalty, and comes from Bethlehem? I'm sorry, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. And where was that announced 30 years before when the wise men came searching? In Jerusalem. It wasn't that they just didn't have the information. Oh, how many times someone has said, but but Pastor, um, what about the people who've never heard? As if God is held liable for the responses of people who had the message right in their cradle. And they said, we will not have this man reign over us. And beloved, if you trace all of humanity back, you go all the way back to Noah, 
We all are responsible for this message of knowing that there is a God who created all things, who judges sin in righteousness and makes a way of salvation. He made an ark for Noah and Noah said, come on, get in, get in and be saved, get in and be saved. And they laughed him. They laughed and mocked him. And all the way back to the garden, we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. We all are responsible for the knowledge that we were made in the image of God and we will give account to our creator. So there really isn't anyone on planet earth that is not responsible for this message, but there are people who walked away from this message and the consequences have been played out in their families to the tune of nations now. And that's why we give and that's why we go so that those who are born after the decision of those who walked away generations ago can hear that God has come for you. God will save you. God will rescue you from your sin. So there's the division. Won't he come from Bethlehem, the village where David was, verse uh, 43. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? That was what they were supposed to do. The officers answered, this is what you want to hear, right? This is a tough one. Like if you're the normal speaker and then someone else speaks and then the next Sunday, like you should have heard the guy speaking last week. It was like nothing I've ever heard before. It was so amazing. Oh, thanks. That's great. Okay, listen with ears like that. That's what they're saying. Because they say, how come you didn't bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Okay, you hear what they're saying here? This is what happens when you stop trying to deal with the argument. What is the issue? And you start assaulting the person. Our political realm is filled with this right now. Don't care about the argument, the issue, what's at stake. If I can't win the argument, I'll demean the other person. I'll blast the other person. I'll belittle them. I'll curse them. So here are the religious leaders. They should be setting a good example, right? They just turn into saying, what, are you idiots like the crowd? And they actually curse the crowd. The religious leaders are now emphatically going to make their point with much vehemence and heat by calling them the accursed, the damned crowd. There's your religious leaders. Here's... Nicodemus, sitting in this, watching this unfold, he's had a conversation with Jesus, trying to find the truth. And can you hear Nicodemus from the shadows of this meeting go, <clears throat> can I say something? They would have said, if you want to add a curse word on all these people, if you want to join us in shouting them down, in threatening them. But that's not what Nicodemus does here. He asks a question. Okay, that means he's a good teacher. Way too many times I've tried to solve a person's dilemma and I've not gone through the necessary ask the right questions. 
and it just seems to raise walls and fences higher. Nicodemus asks this question. It's grounded in the Old Testament. It's grounded out of the Old Testament. It's grounded, and he says this. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, that's a really good point, Nicodemus. Thank you for calming us down. Thank you for introducing common sense to our argument. That is so wonderful. Nicodemus, see why you're the teacher? If you're not following your Bible, you're like, man, that, that's... No, that's not how they replied. Verse 52, you can see it there. Are you from Galilee too? I mean, this is like if you're a longtime Michigan fan. Like Michigan through and through, you cut and you bleed blue. Are you from Ohio? Are you from Ohio too? What, can anything good come out of Ohio? And, and let's not kid ourselves. Everybody in Ohio is saying the same thing about Michigan, right? <laughs> Nothing good can come out of Michigan. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see, let's just say this louder, that no prophet arises from Galilee. Take that. Let's just get loud. Well, Jesus is the central figure that causes division. He invited everyone, come. You thirsty? Because you can't fill that thirst. This thirst is unquenchable by relationships, promotions, raises, more children, more vacations, more degrees, more status. It doesn't fill this, this void. Jesus is saying there's one thing that fills that chasm in you that the Old Testament says eternity is set in our hearts. It's Christ. And he's saying it's free. Come to me. Come to me. Tim Keller says this. He says, sin is not just doing bad things but the making of good things into ultimate things. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship with God. And that can be religion, and that can be knowledge and education, that can be a cause that you're committed to. But everything is lesser than God. And Nicodemus is wrestling through this and he's in the midst of the turmoil that's going on and Jesus is the division. He didn't come to just get everybody together and let's all say he came to give life, abundant life. Everyone needs Jesus. And so this crowd is divided. He's a prophet. He's a Messiah. He can't be the Messiah. Out of Galilee? Are you kidding me? Anything come out of there? Oh, what's going on? You didn't bring him? Oh, are you guys fools too? Have you, have you been, you know, bought the lie? Are you following him now? Are you idiots? And then cursing them. And then comes Nicodemus piping up. 
See, he's realizing that for him to follow Christ, there's not going to be a massive round of applause of all of his cohorts saying, way to go, Nicodemus. We disagree with you, but that's great that you're stepping out there. That's wonderful. And some of you have probably gone through that in your in your spiritual journey where you came to faith in Christ and you had family that acted like this to you. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? And do you know what we've done for you? And you know what, what people think about us? How dare you? As if it's all about you and not all about Jesus. So when Nicodemus clears his throat and makes this interjection here. He's feeling what Jesus would say in Luke 9, 23 through 25, that he is almost ready to be identified as a fool. And he's remembering Jesus said, as a son of man is lifted up. Moses lifted up the serpent, the cross. There's going to have to be a death here. I'm going to have to die to my reputation. And Jesus says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. This is Nicodemus, do you hear? You're going to have to take up. You're not going to wait for the applause of everyone. That'll never happen. Take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life, Nicodemus, you want to save your life? Religious person, you want to save your life by all that you've done or are not doing, you will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And verse 25 is a, such a powerful verse. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and you just lose your soul? Nicodemus, third wealthy, had it all, had all the reputation, had everything he could have, but he is honest. I'm still missing something. I'm still lacking peace. I'm lacking forgiveness. I'm lacking something. I was made for something and I'm not there yet. You're a teacher. What am I missing? You have to walk away from your life and find life that never ends. How many people have gained it all? They've had it all. Followers in the millions listen to what they say on a daily or regular basis and they get to the point and it's not enough. I was listening to something this week of a lady who's been in New York a long time and she said, I've watched thousands of people come to New York to make it. They work here, they work there, they wait tables, they go through, they're gonna make it, they wanna make it, they wanna make it. And she said, you know what is most alarming is when they make it and they wake up the next day after they achieved the award, they achieved the position, the status, the standing, and they wake up and they're crushed because they're still the same person. They're still seeing the same person in the mirror. And though everybody else says, you made it, you're awesome, they still know something's missing in here. And she wasn't a Christian, she was just making an observation in an article of the elusive idea that you can achieve something that lasts. Gain the whole world, lose your soul. You lost everything. Jesus cares about Nicodemus. They're saying this, no prophets ever come from Galilee. They're not even right. Elijah was from Galilee. The prophet Jonah was from Galilee. And Jesus is from Galilee. They've missed it, but here's the deal. If you can't win your argument, just talk louder. 
Just say it with more confidence. Make other people feel more stupid and less than. But if it's not true, it's still a lie. They're stubborn. Nicodemus asked that question, kind of slides back. Ah, but this fourth truth. We see in John 19, Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of our highest adoration. So from the first meeting till the account here in John 19, it's been about three years. The woman at the well, that was one day, one conversation, boom, everything changed, her community changed, a two-day revival breaks out in a town in Samaria, and people have come to faith in Christ. Nicodemus is over about a three-year window. That's why your first point says Jesus is patient. Do you, do you think Jesus knew that? Nicodemus, it's going to be a while before you actually come to my... You know what? I don't got time for you. That's not what he said. Jesus, knowing all things, he met with Nicodemus. He was patient with Nicodemus. He loved Nicodemus. He answered his questions. He asked questions, and he was patiently waiting. And all of the while, that seed is planted, and the seed is taking that time to sprout and to grow. And now when it matters most, Jesus has been crucified. He's hanging on a cross outside of the city, that's when it would humanly seem like it was a plan gone wrong. It was a mission that failed. And now, now Nicodemus comes out of the shadows. What changed him? How did he get to this response of boldness when Jesus' body is hanging on a Roman cross outside of the city and he was watching all of these events unfold? Jesus is worthy. Look at verse 38, John 19, after these things. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Here's another guy. What will people think about me? Well, if I tell my boss at work the gospel, what do he think about me? If I tell my coworker, if I share that, well, what are they going to say? Is that, you know, offensive? Is that, you know, violation of a whatever? What moves us from beyond asking the question, what does it look like to live boldly to what we see here? Love. Joseph of Arimathea comes. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Look at verse 39, Nicodemus also. Who earlier, yeah, you think, had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as, in the burial cust as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now you have two individuals. You have Joseph who has access to Pilate and he says, can I have his body? We're not going to let his body just be thrown into a heap. Uh, that, that's putting yourself in alignment. You care about him? 
You belong to him. You're a follower of his. So Joseph is risking, and here comes Nicodemus with 75 pounds. And I've carried some heavy book bags and purses in my life. But 75 pounds, you're hauling some weight. You're either having help, which means you got a little entourage going with you, or you're muscling 75 pounds, and you're a dignitary. You don't haul 75 pounds. So what moved him way over and crushed the needle that he now cares nothing of what people think and say of him. Something's happened in his life. Both of these individuals have moved into a place of worship. When it mattered most, now they're offering not their leftover. When, when, you come to, when it comes to giving, how do we offer what we give to the Lord? Is it leftover or is it priority, our first and our best? These guys, when it matters most, and now everything is on the line, they can lose it all, and they come worshiping, and they are coming when it's risky. You're going to be associated with him? Because we killed him. You ready to die? And Nicodemus says, yes. I'll take up my cross. It's service. They personally do this. They take his body down. They're holding his bloody body. And they're cleaning his body. And they're carrying his body. They're serving by taking his body into this tomb. This is a sacrifice for them. This is, this is the retirement of Joseph of Arimathea for his family and future. This is what he has, and this is going to be our family, and this is going to be the place. And he says, Jesus needs it. He can have it. I'll let go of that right away because it's for Jesus, and I'll worship him, and it's sacrificial. And Nicodemus comes bringing, not just leftover, I found a few you know, cups of some spices around the house. This is a costly sacrifice and they come showing honor to Jesus. Can you imagine this scene? This, this wasn't a custom. If you were crucified on a cross, you were cursed, you were guilty, you were left as meat. Here they come showing honor to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just saying, what changed? Jesus is not looking at him now, talking with him now. He's carrying his dead body. What has changed him? I think it has everything to do with the next verse after our first section is John 3.16. For God so loved the world and Nicodemus is now understanding what I pray that you understand that you can put your name in there. That God so loved Dale. He gave his only begotten son, that you can put your name in there. He did this for you because of love. I think that's the only thing that changes a guy. And church history, not scripture, records that Nicodemus in time would lose everything. He would lose his position. That years go by and someone finds in, in church history his daughter out in a dump picking and they say, hey, aren't you the daughter of, of Nicodemus? How is he? He lost everything. That's not in scripture, but that's what he was willing to do. And we see that in scripture when he gives it all up to be identified with the body of a man who came bringing a message, who was buried and didn't stay dead. Do you see why we're going through these individuals and taking a sincere, close look at Jesus as we approach Easter Sunday? How many people do we know that need this message? 
Maybe they're religious. Maybe they're the furthest thing from religious. But what's our response? Have we received this love? What is our response? Can we say with these individuals, risk, service, sacrifice, honor for the Lord for the sake of the gospel, what is your next step? And I'm telling you this, beloved, if you've never received, if you haven't received the gift of life that's freely offered to you, today should be the day. Turn from your sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who have done this and we've been saved, been born from above, who is it that we know that love needs to change their lives? That's what we're here for, to show this love. And why? Not because you are worthy, not because I am worthy, because Jesus is worthy. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for Jesus, the lamb slain for sinners. We worship you. We want to give you our first, our best. So I pray, oh God, that you will take this word by your spirit and you will open the hearts of the hearers so that they would receive your word, receive the gift of life that never ends. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. This is why it's grace. It's freely given for the undeserving. We love you and we thank you for Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.